Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About? presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I'm your host, Bob. I'm hanging out talking sports, as always, with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much, man. It's going to get crazy in Iowa today. Got some big stuff going down in that state. A lot of people caucusing for the Democrats and the Republicans. And it's the Super Bowl of politics. The presidential election should be insane. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. Are you feeling the burn? Uh, Kind of. I I don't know if Bernie will still be around when I get to vote up in Ohio. I hope so. That would be cool. But I'm not trying to talk bad about him, but I certainly think Hillary Clinton's the favorite over on the Democratic side. And who knows what's going to happen on the Republican side? Yeah, very interesting presidential primary race going on right now. But this is not a political podcast. This is a sports podcast. You came here to listen to some sports and... We have the biggest event in American sports coming up in just six days, Super Bowl 50, Broncos versus Panthers. We're going to talk a little preview, and we're definitely going to talk a little review uh, in the next episode after it happens. But uh, Chris, just what are your opening thoughts about this Super Bowl? Well, once again, the two number one seeds are meeting in the Super Bowl. I believe that happened last year as well, and the year before that with the uh, Seahawks and Broncos so uh, last few years it's been pretty clear cut in the NFL playoffs even though I think a lot of people thought the Patriots might upset the Broncos last week uh, didn't happen that Broncos defense showed why it's the number one unit in the league and Carolina has been showing why it's the most dominant team in the league at 15 and one arguably I mean Cam Newton's probably going to win MVP don't think it's a question anymore. I think Cam Newton is definitely going to do it. So, and and Carolina has a great defense in its own right. I mean, I believe it's ranked sixth overall in the NFL. So, both these defenses have carried their teams to the biggest stage. And having home field with a dominant defense is usually a recipe, a tried and true recipe for success in this league. And you see it play out once again dominant defenses, playing at home, getting to the Super Bowl. I think they have been the storylines of both of these teams so far this year, and we're going to see them go head-to-head. And the burden is on the offenses. Which offense is going to figure out the other team's defense? And that's pretty much going to be the predominant storyline for me as far as when they're on the field. Obviously, There's all this other talk about legacy and things like that. But for me, when they're on the field, it's going to be which offense figures out the exceptionally the other team's exceptionally dominant defense first. Yeah, it's it absolutely absolutely is going to come down to defense. Um, These have these two defenses have have carried both teams. Um, That being said, I think the focus is going to be on the defenses and then also on the quarterbacks. I mean, you can't have two different quarterbacks than Cam Newton and Peyton Manning uh, in 2016. Uh, a 13-year age gap between these two. Cam Newton uh, runs a lot of read option, takes a lot of brutal hits. Peyton Manning will take a knee before he gets hit <laughs> to, to avoid uh, actually getting tackled for a sack. I mean, uh, Peyton ha- has a very limited range mo- in terms of mobility and, and in terms of arm strength. Cam Newton is, you know, the prime athlete in his prime. Uh, this is, however, the first matchup between two number one overall picks at, at quarterback. So that is something kind of 
tying them together. But at the end of the day, it's coming down the defense and who will stop the other quarterback in a easier fashion. Um, Chris, what's your thought uh, for for the Denver defense? Well, the Denver defense is going to be tested probably a little more than the Carolina defense has been. I think Carolina's defense was most tested against Seattle, facing a quarterback like Russell Wilson, who is young, in his prime, mobile, very tough guy to stop. And they limited him, at least for a half. They showed that they can really shut him down. Now, I know Seattle made a run, but Carolina has not trailed in this postseason at all. So, yes, they did look bad in that second half against Seattle, but they still won the game and never trailed. And then against Arizona, against a quarterback who's similar to Peyton Manning and Carson Palmer, who is on an offense that is arguably more balanced than Denver's, or at least similar to Denver's, they ripped to shreds. So Carolina's defense has shown that it can take on high-quality offenses, face dynamic quarterbacks, and dominate. Denver faced two statues, Ben Roethlisberger, who was banged up, and Tom Brady, who has always been a statue. He's, you know, if Peyton Manning's the least athletic quarterback, then Tom Brady's a very close second, or vice versa. They're competing for number one and two in that category as well. So the point is, Denver's defense hasn't seen a quarterback like this in the postseason just yet, and I think that's going to be the obvious intriguing matchup is, can Denver's defense get to Cam Newton at the same or even half of the rate that they did Tom Brady? Tom Brady got destroyed against the Broncos last week. I believe he was hit a total of 23 times. I don't think they're going to be that successful against Cam Newton because Cam Newton is a lot more mobile than Tom Brady. Well, that's not saying much, but he is one of the best overall athletes in the NFL and oh by the way he's one heck of a quarterback very accurate very strong I that's the most intriguing matchup to me when Denver's defense is on the field yeah absolutely um you know Cam Newton was the number one overall pick in 2010 do you know who the number two overall pick was that year believe Von Miller yeah Von Miller and I think that is the key right there uh we saw him put on a show against the Patriots uh, clearly he was the best defensive player on the field when those two teams met. If he puts up another game similar to the one he put up against the Patriots, uh, this could be over pretty quickly because I think the Denver Broncos, uh, yes, Tom Brady and Cam Newton are two completely different styles of quarterbacks, but the game plan used in that game could translate kind of similarly to stopping Cam Newton when you're able to not rush when you're able to not blitz and still get consistent pressure it can stop any type of quarterback and really uh, inhibit the offensive game plan if they're able to to rush four or, or five guys at the most and have Chris Harris Jr. and Aqib Tlaib shut down everyone on the outside I mean it's all going to be on the shoulders of Cam Newton uh, those are some really strong and big shoulders to, to lean on but uh, the the Broncos have a really strong front seven led by Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware on the other side. If they're able to get to the quarterback as quickly as they got to Tom Brady, I think uh, they, they can easily handle this Panthers offense. Uh, this is the number one scoring defense versus the number one scoring offense in the Carolina Panthers. That, that's absolutely the most intriguing matchup as well. Yeah, most of the times the number one defense wins these matchups between scoring and top defense and top offense. However, I will say this. 
The one thing that won't translate in the Patriots game are some subtle differences in the way the Carolina offense operates. First and foremost, the Patriots offense was down its top two running backs. Jonathan Stewart is going to make the Panthers a little more balanced than the Patriots were. The combination of Jonathan Stewart and Cam Newton will at least make the Broncos have to prepare and respect the run in a way that they did not have to do against the Patriots and even the Steelers because the Steelers down Le'Veon Bell and D'Angelo Williams. So the Denver defense has faced two third string running backs in a row. They're about to get Jonathan Stewart and Cam Newton. I think that's a huge key right there. Secondly, they're going to have to deal with Greg Olson. Now I know they just did a good job against Gronk, but Greg Olson is, in my opinion, the number two all-around tight end in the NFL. He can block fantastically and he's a great pass catcher they run their passing offense through them but the difference is on the outside instead of these short little possession guys they have burners in philly brown and ted ginn jr and can the denver corners cover them speed guys in a man-to-man set without having to have safety help over the top. If they have to bring in a a safety to help double to handle the speed, Greg Olson is going to eat them for breakfast because they won't be able to do some of the things they were able to do against Greg Olson. So some subtle differences there, a little more speed on the outside and a much stronger running game than Denver has faced so far. I'm not saying Denver can't handle it, but they are going to have to game plan a lot differently for Carolina than they did Pittsburgh and New England. No, those are very good points. Um, I do think that Denver is just loaded with defensive talent on all sides. Uh, Chris Harris Jr., Bradley Roby, and Aqib Tlaib. Between those three guys, they're able. They will be able to manage Philly Brown and Ted Ginn Jr. on the outside one on one. I think Aqib Tlaib would also be a really good guy to put on Greg Olson. You saw the Patriots use him that way in the one season he he stood with them. Um, and then the safe, the health, the, the health of the Denver Broncos safeties is also pivotal. Uh, both those starters left the game uh, in the second half of the Patriots game. T.J. Ward, if he's out, uh, that will kind of open up Greg Olson's game as well. Uh, Jonathan Stewart is listed as questionable at this moment. He did play uh, all throughout the NFC playoffs, but he is a little banged up. But you're right, uh, Panthers definitely have a much more commitment to the run game and their offense goes through that run game so you're right the the Broncos will have to adjust to that but they were able to stop any semblance of a run game from the Patriots even though they were acknowledging the threat of of a dynamic passing game they they were opening up that run game and they were still able to stop it very handedly so uh, this Broncos defense is a jack of all trades and a Swiss army knife I think they're able to handle anything that is thrown their way uh, for me is just can that Denver Broncos offense put up any kind of points against this Panthers defense yeah and therein lies the question because this is going to be Peyton Manning's biggest test by far the last two games he has been able to get away with being a game manager and that's no disrespect it's just the reality of the situation you look at his stats he has not had to win those games he has not had to do much He has just had to not lose them. I don't think that's going to happen against Carolina because Carolina's defense is going to probably take away the running attack of the Denver Broncos if that Denver offensive line plays the way it did against the Patriots defense, which while a solid, maybe a little bit underrated unit, not what the Panthers are, I think the Panthers defense will have success in at least 
taking something away from the Denver Broncos. I don't think they'll be able to run the ball like they want to, which means can Peyton Manning step up and be the Peyton Manning we've known and love for all these years for one last time? I do think he is going to have to win this game and make some very big plays, some very big throws, and he's got the weapons to do it. It's just a matter of whether or not they can take off the shackles and let him go. They did not challenge the Patriots deep much in in the AFC Championship game. They were very much content to just say, we're not going to do anything crazy. We're going to run the ball, controlled throws, nothing much longer than 10, 15 yards, nothing too deep, nothing too crazy. I don't think they can just do that. If they hunker down against Carolina, I think they'll get eaten alive. Yeah, definitely. They need to take their risks and take their shots uh, and – Absolutely, all eyes are going to be on Peyton Manning. Uh, we, he's this is going to be his fourth Super Bowl we've, he's played in. We have not really seen a good game from him in the Super Bowl uh, career. In the Super Bowl, he's got three touchdowns and four interceptions, uh, and you know one and two records. So, you know, a lot of pressure is going to be on him. But for him to succeed, I think Demarius Thomas needs a really big game. Uh, he's been. He's still a great wide receiver. He still has had a really good year, but he has dropped a lot of balls and has been pretty inconsistent. Um, when the Broncos were at their worst, when Peyton Manning was at his worst this season, which you know we we saw a lot of that, uh, Demarius Thomas did not have good games. He did not bail out Peyton Manning. I think he needs to step up. That matchup between Josh Norman and Demarius Thomas is going to be huge. And then Luke Keekley is another guy to look out for. Uh, probably the best middle linebacker in the game right now great pass defender and also a great uh, run defender look for him to just be all over the field because as good as this Panthers defense is they're a little banged up you know Jared Allen missed uh, the NFC championship game with the injured foot Roman Harper had an injured eye he missed half of that game Thomas Davis had surgery on his broken right forearm just last week and says he's going to play all three of these guys are expected to play but they're banged up and uh those are kind of the secondary supporting cast to, to, to the Stars and Norman and Keekley. They don't have the, the overall depth of that Broncos defensive unit. So th- that'll be very interesting to see how those guys step up and play. Uh, yeah, that, it's going to be an intriguing, intriguing matchup. This is where that extra week of rest comes into play. You know, you know, you mentioned Jonathan Stewart being banged up, a lot of other guys being dinged up. This is where that extra week of rest is totally necessary for the Super Bowl. I want both teams to get a little extra rest, to get as fresh as possible, to have the best possible Super Bowl we can see, because this is the biggest game of the season. So I love the fact that there's a bye. I know some people don't like to wait, but me, I'd rather wait a little longer and get a high-quality game than rush it this weekend and, or excuse me, last weekend, and you know maybe not get as good a game as we could have. So I like the bye week. I think the bye week is going to solve a lot of those injury problems you just mentioned for both teams. But I'm going to go a little bit different. Yes, you are absolutely right. Demarius Thomas needs to step up. But I think if the Denver Broncos cannot run the ball, they're not going to win the game. I think somehow, someway, um, Ronnie Hillman and C.J. Anderson have to step up and give Peyton Manning some sort of a running game to keep that Panthers rush and that Panthers defense honest. Because if they cannot do that, they're going to tee off on him. The Patriots were able to get to Manning a little bit last year, last or two weeks ago in the AFC Championship game, and Denver's running attack was only okay. So 
If they can't run the ball and the Panthers don't have to respect the run, they're going to tee off on Manning, and I don't think that that's going to end very well. I think they need to keep this Panthers defense on its heels a little bit by running the ball, making them respect that run, and ease the burden on Peyton Manning as much as possible. He's still going to have to step up and make big plays, but if they can't run the ball, Denver has no shot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's been... uh what we've said about the Broncos all season long, uh, you know, they, they commit to the run game, even if it's not there, uh, Ronnie Hillman, CJ Anderson, they're going to combine for 20 to 30 touches. Uh, the, the, the big focus is, can they actually get yards out of those touches and, and extend drives? And, and, and like you said, take the burden off of Peyton Manning. That's always going to be the big question for the Denver Broncos offense. Absolutely. Yeah, man. All right. So we've gone through, most of the matchups here, but Bob, don't you think, I mean, special teams are always hard to predict. This has the Super Bowl a feeling that a big special teams play could just swing it. I mean, I, I guess you could say that about any game, but especially in a game where you have two great defenses, I expect it to be a key field position battle. I think a big special teams play, either downing a guy inside the 10 or a big return, is going to probably swing the game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Panthers have one of the best in Ted Ginn Jr. and the kickers for the Denver Broncos. Uh, you know, the punter could have you could have made a case for him being the MVP in that AFC Championship game. He had a, a really great game. So, yeah, that's absolutely something to look out for. Um, I have a couple fun facts about the Super Bowl. Uh, Cam Newton could be the first quarterback ever to win a FBS national title, Heisman Trophy, and Super Bowl. And if you consider the fact that he's probably going to win an NFL MVP this year, and he already also has a junior college national title, uh, that's a number of trophies that no other quarterback has. So that's really impressive for him. And then my other fun fact is both head coaches coaching in the Super Bowl, uh, they both replaced John Fox. So <laughs> that is awesome. That. It would have been nice if John Fox still coached Denver this year. That would have been cool. Fox versus the Panthers. That would have been pretty cool. Yeah, that would have, but. Um, you know, I think Gary Kubiak uh, was necessary for this Broncos unit to, to be as successful as they were. And Gary Kubiak didn't get enough respect in Houston. I was very mad when they fired him. I don't think he deserved to be fired. Even though they went 2-14, and 14, the bottom fell out. I, it was, I don't necessarily think it was all his fault. Uh, Denver is reaping the benefits of that big time. I believe Peyton Manning would be the first quarterback to start and lead two different teams to Super Bowl championships. Kurt Warner had a shot when he was with Arizona, but he couldn't pull that one off. I'm pretty sure that that is still in play for Peyton Manning. But, all right, Bob, it's time to make a pick. I don't think either of us had both of these teams in our Super Bowl. I don't think either of us had either of these teams in our Super Bowl. Yeah, neither of us did. So, we're fresh, we're new, we have one more chance to get it right. Who you got? It's really hard to argue against the Carolina Panthers just because they've been the dominant team all year but the show that the Denver Broncos defense put on in the AFC championship game leads me to believe that you know they are the best defense in the NFL uh, Panthers are, are good number two there might be some other teams out there that have really good defenses you can make that argument for uh, I have to go with the Denver Broncos just because of that defense and and what they showed me uh, just a week ago that's not a bad pick in the immediate aftermath of the championships, I was certain Carolina was going to win. The more this week goes on, the more Carolina gets hyped up as a favorite, I get nervous because this whole storybook ending for Peyton Manning thing, if there is sort of a football fate, 
I guided Ray Lewis to a championship two years ago. If there is a football fate, then Denver is destined to win. However, I think this is going to be the arrival of Cam Newton. I think Carolina has still kind of been disrespected throughout the year. They're the least talked about dominant team there is that I can remember. And I think that they are going to prove to everyone that they were for real. They're going to step up and win it. It's closer. I think the game's going to be closer than I initially thought because in the immediate aftermath, I thought Carolina was going to roll them. I think the Denver defense is going to keep Denver in the game. I just think Carolina is going to make that extra play on offense to get them over the top. Yeah, I mean, Denver Broncos defense has to bring their A game. If they bring anything less, uh, I think Panthers will handle it easily. But uh, they seem to, to to figure something out against the Patriots, and that's why I'm leaning their way. But I agree with you. I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. Uh, doesn't mean it's not going to be an exciting game, though. Oh, certainly. Certainly. I like defensive games. I, I don't know why people don't. I think they're just as fun. They can be, they're just as intense. And when they're for all the marbles, it's even better. But all right, Bob, this is the third time in four years we have had a sort of cloud hanging over the Super Bowl. A couple years back, it was Ray Lewis and Deer Antler spray. Last year, we all know about the Gate. This year, there's a story coming out that Peyton Manning may have used HGH. And I stress the may because there are some holes in the story, but the uh, reporter is defending her source and uh, the NFL has launched an investigation. So it's serious enough for the NFL to look into it. I guess my question here, though, is, and I, and I understand that there are some differences between the three stories, notably between Deflategate and the other two. But this story kind of has been brushed under the rug a little bit. I mean, yes, it's been talked about, but not to the level Deflategate was last year. Bob, why do you think that is? And, and B, what do you think of the story? Well, I, I agree with you. I think uh, ESPN in, in particular and a lot of the guys that, that work the NFL on ESPN, uh, if you read some of their quotes, they, they definitely have brushed it under the rug and just dismissed it. And that's kind of questionable and kind of shocking. Um but that's not to say that people don't want to report this case. I just think that uh, we know the same amount of information that, that we knew when the rumor first came out uh, at the end of 2015. And I, I have a really hard time believing that in the entire national media, there aren't people actively looking into this Peyton Manning HGH case, the, the having trying to seize the opportunity to break news on what is who is the most popular NFL player of the last 15 years. I mean, he's he's the guy like he's on all the TV commercials. Uh there are people looking into it. I just don't think that there's any news to bring forth. And when when Deflategate broke, it wasn't just a rumor. It, I mean, we knew that it happened uh within days uh, of that AFC Championship game and we got little tidbits of information and and additional rumors every day and it 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 fed the flames and it turned into a frenzy uh you know call it, it might be Peyton Manning and his PR uh nipping this in the bud it might and I think it that's part of it but I also think it's just there's nothing to report if there was we would absolutely hear about it well certainly I agree that there are there's got to be people out there trying to break this story there's got to be people in the national media working to try and uncover what's happened. There's just, it's too far reaching and it's too juicy of an opportunity to pass up. 
Um, but I agree, I agree with a lot of the points you made. Deflategate was a big different animal because it happened within the NFL's jurisdiction. The NFL had subpoena power because it was interviewing its own employees, so they could actually investigate. With Ray Lewis and Peyton Manning and, and any sort of steroid allegations, that's the tricky part. These leagues don't have that kind of power. They can't make these third parties come talk to them. And absent of sort of suing, uh, like the MLB did in the Biogenesis case, suing for interfering with player contracts, um, they can't really do much. So I agree from that standpoint that from a league perspective, I understand why it's not as big of a story. It's still a very much uh, a skeptical story. The source recanted everything he said. Now, you can argue whether or not he was pressured into doing that. I don't know. I don't want to make assumptions. But the, the point is, I understand why there isn't more a definitive stance as there was with, with the Ray Lewis and the Peyton Manning situation as there was the flight gate. I, I guess my question is, I think people are kind of giving Manning and Lewis and football players in general a pass when these kind of performance-enhancing allegations come up around them. If Peyton Manning were a baseball player, he'd be dead to right right now. I mean, you know, even a whiff of an allegation, and it's a huge story. And I just think that there are different standards for football players and baseball players with performance-enhancing drugs, and for good reason. I mean, baseball abused them to an X extreme, but I do think it's odd that you know, you have this huge figure in football and really everyone is just complacently kind of not even questioning whether or not he took something. And, and I, I guess that it's just it just bothers me that there's kind of a different standard for one set of athletes and not another. No, you're, you're absolutely right. There There is a different standard. Um, I just think that MLB was the target of, of a huge uh, backlash and witch hunt to clean up their game and uh, you know PEDs and, and the MLB have uh, become a, a terrible thing to associate with a player uh, you know there hasn't been that public backlash and uh, people getting upset and feeling like they're lied to with, with within the NFL and, and within performance enhancing drugs I will say with Ray Lewis uh, deer antler spray is like the silliest thing to consider a PED. Um, you know, HGH and deer antler spray uh, can both be considered PEDs because they're both under the banned substance list, but deer antler spray doesn't do anything. Uh, you know, there are a couple of articles out there post Ray Lewis that kind of showed just how foolish it is. That's not saying Ray Lewis didn't break the rules. He broke the rules. He took it or allegedly took it. Allegedly. So does, yeah. So, you know, he deserves an investigation and all that, but uh I'm kind of giving him a pass for the deer antler spray because uh, you have much seriouser, more serious drugs like HGH um, and, and the Peyton Manning thing. I, I just think uh, it, it, it's different standard for a different league. That's call it fair, call it unfair. But uh, you know, an MLB player knows what's at risk when he takes the, when he takes a PED. An NFL player knows he can probably get away with a little bit more and. Uh, that's not a good thing, but that's just kind of how it is. Yeah, I mean, comparing deer antler spray to HGH is like a minor misdemeanor to a mid-level felony. I mean, it's it's not the same ballpark. If And I will say this, if it comes out that Peyton Manning did HGH, I mean, just wow. 
that would just be the ultimate bombshell for all Manning fans and really all all NFL fans. I think even people who, like myself, are Patriots fans and don't particularly cheer for Manning, if it came out that this guy did HGH, really nothing sacred anymore. I mean, you can't trust anyone. No, absolutely. I think it would lead you to question any player coming back from a, a tremendous injury. You know, Adrian Peterson coming back from that ACL tear, uh, you know, turned a lot of heads. You know, you have to wonder about that. Uh, you have to wonder about a lot of the guys that that, that make comebacks from, from the big big time injuries in the NFL. If that news breaks, that'll be absolutely a game changer. And I think uh, if this happens, if HGH is now associated with Peyton Manning and it's true, I think uh, you will see a much more interested standard in PEDs with NFL players. It will change the entire world of the NFL. It would just bring it all down. If, if he gets caught, it'll be like Lance Armstrong in cycling. I mean, when that happened, it just was a train wreck. And the popularity of cycling just pretty much collapsed. I don't even hear about cycling anymore. I And I don't think that's going to happen with the NFL. The popularity will still be there. But I think the world of the NFL will change in a drastic way like baseball did when all those allegations came out on its of its biggest sluggers. But it's not just the fact that Peyton Manning gets steroids. It's it's that Peyton Manning's like the poster boy, the nice guy, the guy everyone wants to succeed. If he comes crashing down, I mean it's gonna rock football. Yeah, it will. And um he's not the only person mentioning that report. You do have a couple of MLB players. You have a couple of NFL players like Clay Matthews, who I think is also probably one of the top 10 most endorsed athletes in the NFL. I mean, he's, he gets a lot of commercial play. So uh, if this all comes true, yeah, it, it will be definitely a game changer. All righty. We've made our picks. One last final thought, Bob, before we switch topics here. Peyton Manning, win or lose, is he done after this game? Yeah, I think he is. Uh, I, I read a report just before we started recording that uh, he supposedly told family that he's retiring. So I, I definitely think it's happening. I do too because I think if he the NFL films camera picked up that he whispered it to Bill Belichick if he's given Bill Belichick tips I think it's pretty solid I don't think he's going to play after this game I think he's done um, and, it, and it will be sad on that level to have one of the NFL's greats uh, right off into the sunset it means we'll never get to see him to play again yeah but what a way to go out Super Bowl that's a good good story yeah, win or lose, just getting to the Super Bowl, going out on a Super Bowl, it's still one heck of a story. And I, I honestly, even though I am the biggest Brady fan in the world compared to Manning, stop with the losing records in the Super Bowl. Okay, I don't care if he's one and three in the Super Bowl. He got to four Super Bowls. So many other guys lose before then. Why is it? Why is it a big deal if a player has a losing record in the final game? I, I look at it more that he got to four Super Bowls. Not that he lost three. Now, when you compare him to guys like Brady and Montana, yeah, the losing three is a big deal. But in the grand scheme of things, he got to four Super Bowls. And yes, he won one. He, he probably could have won more if he were to lose this one. But just stop with the whole losing record in the Super Bowl thing. It's ridiculous. I'd love to be one and three in the Super Bowl. Let's just say that. No, yeah, for, you're absolutely right. Um, I think that um, mindset, I, I don't know if... if if you're bringing that up because you've heard it a lot 
this year, but I think that mindset is kind of going away with Peyton Manning that people have accepted. Like he has reached a, a four Super Bowls, and that's that's really impressive. And, and you know, he, we I used to hear a lot of that the not getting the Super Bowls and not winning it uh, a, a lot more in years past. I think people have kind of accepted the legacy of Peyton Manning at this point. Yeah, and again, when you compare him to like you know Joe Montana and Terry Bradshaw and Peyton and, and Tom Brady, I mean, yeah, okay, losing three doesn't help there, but. In the grand scheme of things, the guy made it to four Super Bowls. I mean, come on. It's a little ridiculous. All righty. Going to switch gears here. We're going to go from the football field to the tennis court here. I don't blame you if you didn't stay up late for those Australian Open matches. The finals were played at 3 in the morning. And as much as I wanted to watch them, I just couldn't bring myself to stay up that late. We had one final that kind of went to plan. Novak Djokovic making his fifth consecutive Grand Slam final in a row and winning the last four of the last five Grand Slams, beating Andy Murray in straight sets. Andy Murray is no joke, by the way. So to beat him the way he did is very significant and just shows how dominant Djokovic is. Uh, It's his 11th Slam, tied for fifth all time. He's gunning down Roger Federer now. He's only six behind him. That's still a lot. Uh, but on the women's side, a little bit of an upset. Uh, Angelique Kerber making her first ever Grand Slam final, taking out Serena Williams, who is making her 26th Grand, fi- Grand Slam final, pulled the upset, 6-4-3-6-6-4, winning her first ever Grand Slam and denying Serena that elusive number 22, which would tie the open era record held by Steffi Graf. Bob, First, starting with the men's side, I mean, Djokovic has got to be clearly the best player in tennis right now. Oh yeah, Djokovic, uh, that that he handled it pretty easily against Murray. Uh, Murray was very valiant, uh, rallied back, but I mean, to win in straight sets in in the final, that's no joke. He's the real deal. He is absolutely for sure the number one tennis player on top, and there, I think there's a, a very big gap between him and. and Andy Murray, who's ranked number two, and the guys that are are, are, are uh, right right below Andy Murray. Uh, but man, Kerber beating Serena Williams, that is absolutely surprising. You know, I, I did not see that one coming. Uh, I predicted that both Williams and Djokovic would would win this easily. Uh, that 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 was shocking to me to 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 wake up and hear that uh, Kerber won the Australian Open. Bob, when uh, Victoria Azarenka lost, I'm like, Bob's definitely going to get this right. There's no way Williams and Djokovic lose because you look at the people she beat to get there. She beats Maria Sharapova, who shockingly hasn't beaten Serena Williams since 2004. And that's just ridiculous. And then she beat the number four lady in the world, Rod Wanstika, who is a strong tennis player but just doesn't have the game to match up with Williams. And she gets there. Angelique Kerber beat Victoria Azarenka, but... Making our first ever Grand Slam final, Serena Williams so dominant, everything to play for. You just think that, no way, but Kerber pulled the upset. And you notice Serena Williams, she doesn't lose to the big names. She gets upset. Like, when she loses, it's like out of nowhere curveball upsets. It's not like, you know, Azarenka or Sharapova or any of the big names you would think would upset her. She just, she kind of just maybe... Do you think it's like a men- mindset that she kind of gets up for the big yeah. names and gets through them, but maybe underestimates her her opponents sometimes? 
Yeah, I, I think I, I definitely think that's it. I think, you know, you look at the men's side, Djokovic still has really good competition and guys like Murray, Federer, Nadal, some of those other up and coming guys. Uh, on the women's side, it's really just a story of how dominant can Serena Williams be. And that means every time she steps foot onto the court, she's expected to win and probably win in a convincing fashion. And that's a lot of pressure. I'm not saying Djokovic doesn't have that pressure, that expectation to win. But I think Serena Williams, more than any other individual athlete right now, is expected to just dominate every tournament she enters. So, yeah, that's that absolutely seems to be the case that she is just uh, so good and so talented, and everyone knows that. That you know, sometimes the pressure gets to her, and that's totally okay. I mean, she's still twenty-one and four in Grand Slams. I mean. She's still really good, but yeah, I think it is, it's more of a pressure and a mental thing than really, uh, you know, facing an, an equal on the other side. Oh, certainly. I, I think it's kind of like Tiger Woods back when he was dominating golf. He was expected to play every tournament and win by 20 strokes. Winning wasn't enough. If he won by one stroke, it was the end of the world. And I think that Serena Williams has this expectation around her that not only is she going to win the tournament, but she's going to dominate everyone. And I think sometimes, I mean, you know, the pressure can get to you, especially when your opponent kind of fights back a little bit. Maybe things aren't going your way. There's no, I mean, look, all these athletes, they're people too. And in an individual sport, you can't fall back on a teammate or anything. It's you out there. It's kind of like, you know, you're solitary. It's, there's no one else to blame. And I can certainly see in those big moments, you know, the pressure just bearing down and I can't imagine what that's like. But that's the beauty of sports like tennis is that, you know, you can see things like that. It does position itself to have some of these kind of upsets because, again, there's no other teammate. If you're not having a good day, you can't just, like, fall back on your wingman. Like, LeBron James can't just pass the ball to Kevin Love if his shot's not falling. Serena Williams has to fight through it. And, you know, I, I think I think it does get to her sometimes. But, Hey, she's also won 21 Grand Slams. It's not like it's the end of the world here. She's one of the greatest yeah. of all time. She is allowed to lose every now and then. And props to Angelique Kerber for getting her first ever Grand Slam and beating Serena Williams on a huge stage. Maybe, maybe when we say this all the time, someone not named Williams wins on the women's side. But maybe this is the beginning of somebody rising up and, and kind of taking the torch from Serena Williams. She has been on top of the tennis world for the last like five years now. Uh, it's time for a, ri- a rival to emerge on the women's side. Yeah, I think um, just a last thought on that match. You know, Kerber isn't known for being a dominant player by by what I've I've read and, and, and the highlights that I saw. She's more known for, for countering. And I think that kind of is the type to beat a Serena Williams. Uh, she made 46 unforced errors in that final. Uh, you kind of just try and survive and wait for her to, to the pressure to kind of make force her into making a mistake. So maybe that is a blueprint in the future. Uh, I don't know. I think Serena Williams is still going to be pretty dominant this year. Oh, me too. She's going to get a slam and she's going to get her thing. But one other thing though, uh, I know doubles isn't as popular as singles, but Martina Hingis is on a comeback and she was one of my favorite players growing up. She and her partner, uh, Sanya Marzen, excuse me if I said that name wrong, won their third straight Grand Slam as a doubles duo. They've won three straight doubles championships, and Hingis, I believe, that is her 12th career doubles title. And so, 
that's kind of a cool story. I mean, if they win the French, they will have held all four at the same time. It's not a grand slam, but they will have won all four. I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by this uh, French Open now on the uh, women's double side. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was their 36th straight match in a row that, that uh, this doubles pair has won. I was surprised to see Martina Hingis's name pop up. Um, you know, I I try to pay attention to tennis, but I especially really don't know what's going on in the doubles world. Uh, so I didn't really know that she was back. Apparently she's come out of retirement twice, and this is her second go-round, and now she's her and her partner are the number one doubles women's doubles pair in, in, in tennis right now, which is pretty crazy and pretty impressive for, for a 35-year-old. But I guess... Their styles are really complementary. Hingis is much more, you know, the finesse and the strategist, and and, and uh, Mirza is is much more the power part of that. So I, they seem to be a really good pair. And now, yeah, we're we're gonna go into the French Open expecting uh, uh, them to hold all four Grand Slams in, in one time. Nineteen ninety eight, though, she did win all four in the same year. She won the Grand Slam. Uh, in 98, Martina Hingis, that is. So she's, she's one heck of a tennis player, one of the best all time. She only has five singles title. She got to all four finals in 97. And much like Djokovic, she uh, got to all four and then won four out of five because she won the 1998 Australian Open. And from 97 to 99, she won both the singles and the doubles in Australia. So th- that, those years from 97 to 99, she really was uh, uh, the by far the best player in all of tennis. So that was pretty. It was pretty cool to watch her in those '90s, and and everyone thought that she had such a great career ahead of her. She was so young. I think she was only like 17, 18 years old, and and then it just kind of never got better than that. Like she never. It's surprising that she never added more singles titles. But it's good to see her back because uh, she was one of my favorite players growing up. Yeah, certainly. So, any last thoughts on the Australian Open? Nope. Just uh, gotta wait. It's a long wait. That's what I don't like about playing it in January and then the French Open in May. It's a long wait for more good tennis. But uh, then once Memorial Day comes around, there's the three barbecue tournaments, the French Open, Wimbledon around the 4th of July, and uh, U.S. Open around Labor Day. So have to wait a few few months, but it's always fun to watch. Yeah, good, good start to the year in terms of tennis. All right, we're going to another sport that doesn't get a lot of airplay here on What Are You Talking About, though – uh, we are hopefully going to talk more NHL in our volume to 10 podcast, which is all about Tennessee sports. If you want to check that out, uh, NHL all-star game happened this weekend in Nashville, which is where I'm living right now. Uh, for me, from what I heard and what I read and the highlights that I watched and, and everything about the all-star game, uh, there was a, a really palpable energy and that's probably due in part for me living here. Uh, you know, I, I saw the festivities every day when I was going downtown to work, but I thought that the event, the actual all-star game, the three on three tournament that they had was fantastic. It was exciting. Uh, the players were loose and they were having fun, but they were still playing and there, there was a quality game being put forth, uh, a very competitive game, something that all-star games are always knocked for. I thought it was a great event. Probably one of the best all-star events I've seen in a long time. Chris, what are your thoughts on it? Well, it certainly was fun. Um, certainly was fun. I know I made the argument last podcast about the purists not being so happy, but I'm not a hockey purist, and I had fun watching it. Uh, the semifinals had a different feel than the finals, though. The semifinals were, you know, high scoring, you know, four to three, nine to nine to six, and you know, it was a little more up tempo, a little more loose. But in that final, man, it was only one to nothing, 
and the first goal didn't come till 621. We had a replay overturn because Corey Perry scored another one at the 253 mark, but it was waved off because Taylor Hall bumped into the goalie uh, in the blue paint while, while the shot was in the air. So the Atlantic had, was only down one down the stretch, and there was that uh, you know empty net, four on three down there, trying to hunker down and hold on to the uh, victory. Uh, so the the final was intense for a different reason. It was very defensive and very you know the goalies stole the show, uh, which I think maybe wasn't what the NHL wanted. They kind of wanted more like what the semifinals were. But I still loved watching the final. It was fun. I, I don't mind watching defense. I just like watching good fun, intense matchups, and that's what we got on all three games. Just the semifinals were completely different than what the final was. Yeah, I mean, well, that kind of reminds me of, you know, the NCAA tournament, the semifinal games being really uh, intense and very enjoyable to watch, and then you get to the finals game, and they are so tense with what's on the line that it's the quality of the game isn't exactly – uh, the best it's probably not the best game that you watch in the NCAA tournament I I kind of felt like come to the finals in, in the NHL all-star game they actually wanted to win and they were playing very competitively uh, that, that's why I kind of liked it you had kind of the loose fun atmosphere you know people showing off in those semifinal games racking up goals and then you, you got to play an extra game and take it a little bit more seriously and, and actually try and win that million dollars which I'm sure uh was, was a very big motivation for these guys, but also just a championship, you know, a, a very small group of NHL players can be the NHL all-star champs. And I think that also goes a long way. Um, I thought it was entertaining. I, I, I liked, I liked all three matches. And the best part was for the Pacific, the Pacific's first goal was John Scott. He tied the <laughs> game at one. Then he scored again in the semifinals. And once I heard the announcer say, and the fans have picked their MVP, I'm like, oh, if the fans are deciding, it's definitely John Scott. Though I think Corey Perry scoring the only goal in the final was arguably a little bit more valuable than John Scott. Nevertheless, the fans have spoken again. We're not going to trade John Scott and try to hide him from his MVP. He won it. Bob, this has got to be super vindicating for John Scott, given all that's happened to him. Uh, the whole voting the cap, they traded to another conference to Montreal and shoved down to the AHL, the minor leagues, just to it allegedly try to keep him from playing. Uh, I was I was personally really happy that he scored twice and had a really good game. Don't know if he deserved the MVP, but it's certainly pretty cool that he won it. Yeah, I mean, by all accounts, he stole the show the weekend, not just that day, but uh, throughout all the events, uh, he was on cloud nine. Everybody loved him. He became a fan favorite. Uh, when he scored that first goal, you could hear, you know, the the crowd erupted in his favor. Um, it's only fitting that he was MVP, uh, and it's that's another facet of what made this NHL All Star Weekend so great. Was this John Scott story? The fans probably playing a joke in in the fan voting, voting this guy on, but actually getting him to see, getting him there to play the game the nhl actually allowing him to to be the captain for the pacific then to see him actually score two goals which is uh one more point than he's had all year uh he only has one assist and and no goals in in all his nhl games this year so uh yeah it's it's just another great story to what was what what was a great event and then gary batman comes on the ice and he gets booed they boo him everywhere yeah (laughs) but yeah, yeah, I think the NHL is probably going to stick with this format. It was a little more fun, a little more laid back. 
And it still felt like hockey. I mean, you know, I think the purist would like to see a five-on-five. But three-on-three is still good enough. You can still have a defensive game in three-on-three. And it still felt like a fun, faster, uh, abbreviated form of hockey. And I think that that's what the NHL was going for with this All-Star game. So maybe they found something and and they'll stick with it. Uh, I give the NHL props for reinventing itself. uh, They were the first to go to the team captains formats. Uh, they've done a lot of work to try to keep their league relevant with the, uh, you know, the Winter Classic, the outdoor game. They've they've done some things that have really appealed to fans, and maybe this is another one that they've you know stumbled onto here, and we'll see what the future holds for it. Yeah, definitely. I think um, yeah, I read a report that they doubled their expected ratings. It, so by all accounts, is a big success. Maybe next year, the year after, they can get it off of NBC Sports Network and get it onto a channel where more people can watch and tune in because i think they're onto something uh maybe that's just because it was the novelty or maybe because it was put on really well in nashville but uh i think they they did a really good job with it so pretty exciting i think if that thing were on nbc and not nbc sports network it would have gotten a lot more ratings because i think a lot of people wanted to watch it but couldn't find it and i was surprised i got nbc sports network to tell you the truth so i got to watch it but I don't know how. Someone, the cable guy loves me or something. I don't know what happened. <laughs> we might Maybe. have a Jim Carrey situation. <laughs> Maybe you're paying for something you don't know about, though. Yeah, that's true. I better check my bill, too. Yeah. Yikes. Good call. That's probably more likely. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so we've got a lot of quick hits, actually. A lot of stuff has happened since our last podcast. Uh, first and foremost, college had a great showdown Oklahoma LSU and I broke my rule I didn't watch till the end I didn't see Oklahoma come back and win but Buddy healed his eighth 30 point game of the season that matchup certainly delivered uh in full against LSU's Ben Simmons uh Bob were you able to watch any of this game and and what, what are your thoughts well I mean it was a marquee matchup uh Buddy Heald versus Ben Simmons Ben Simmons by all accounts is going to be the number one pick in the NBA draft uh and it was a really good game and a really good comeback led by Heald. But an LSU held in there. Um, it's hard to imagine that LSU might not make the NCAA tournament and the college basketball's most tantalizing prospect won't be able to showcase his talent in the tournament. But uh, that's just kind of the year that LSU has had. They've been very up and down despite the, t- the young talent that they have on the team. Uh, but this was a very good game, and I think Oklahoma – uh, after all the shuffling around on top, they might be onto something, especially with Buddy Heald leading the way. He is probably one of the front runners to, to be a player of the year. Uh, he's 22, so he definitely has that veteran leadership in college basketball. I think Oklahoma is onto something. I do too. They they impressed me, uh, even though I watched the part when they were losing. But I, I do think Oklahoma is loaded with talent, and they're playing at a tough conference, so they've been battle tested. I think they might hold on to that number one ranking for a little while longer. I don't know what their schedule is right around the corner. They're probably playing someone really good and they'll get upset. But, uh, yeah, I do I do think that they're going to be a force come uh, tournament time. Um, all right, switching gears up to uh, Cleetown. Johnny Football just can't, can't stop doing stupid stuff. This time, a little more serious. Allegedly got to an altercation with his girlfriend. Bob, I mean, is there any doubt in your mind Johnny Football is going to be off the Browns roster? 
No, I, I think he's absolutely done in Cleveland. I think this really hurts uh, his chances of, you know, the talks of that Dallas Cowboys reunion. I mean, second domestic violence allegation in, what, two months? And now he's going to be looking for a new job. I don't. Plus all the extracurricular t- attention Johnny Manziel just naturally brings. I, I, I think he's going to be hard-pressed to find, find a, another job at, at this point. Yeah, I don't think anyone's taking a risk on him with all the extracurricular stuff he brings. Uh, he has just completely run himself out of the league, essentially. So, all righty, a couple of hot stove uh, developments: Royals signing Ian Kennedy and the Astros signing Doug Fister. A couple value pitchers right there. Uh, what do you think of the deals, Bob? Uh, Ian Kennedy is really hit and miss. He had a really good year in 2014. Uh, he went 13 and 13, but more importantly, had a 3.63 ERA. 2011, he had 21 wins, but he's got a th- career 3.98 ERA. I, I don't. That's definitely not replacing Johnny Cueto. Uh, can add some depth, but you know, I, I, I'm undecided on that. And Doug Fister to a one-year deal. You know, he's going to be 32 this year. Uh, had a really good year in 2014. Not so much in 2015. That's a good value kind of bounce back year. Uh, I like that deal more than Ian Kennedy. Yeah, I would agree. I think Doug Fister is the better deal. Uh, and that Astros rotation is looking kind of scary, to tell you the truth. But, um, And then Travis Kelsey also signing a, an extension with Kansas City, going back to football. Five years, $46 million, $20.5 million of that guaranteed. Uh, worth it? I mean, he certainly stepped up big this year, but I believe that makes him the second highest paid tight end in the NFL. That's surprising that uh, second highest paid, but I think it's definitely worth it. Uh, uh, the pass catching tight end is a very hot valued commodity, and he has proven his worth at that. So I think he's definitely earned it. Brian Kelly of Notre Dame also got a six year extension. Not shocking. He's done a fine job with the Irish. I think he's had them in the national title hunt, had them in the game, and they got destroyed by Alabama. But he's had them right the ship. I think that Notre Dame is sort of back as a perennial top 25 team under him. Yeah, he's done a good job. They're always going to be competitive with him. You know, the length of the deal really doesn't matter because if they want to get rid of him, they'll get rid of him. But he's done a good job, and and that's a good vote of confidence, I guess. The Chargers have said they're staying in uh, San Diego for at least one more year. Still could make a decision on whether or not to go to L.A. Bob, do you think Los Angeles is going to have two teams when it's all said and done with the Raiders looking at Las Vegas now too? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, but at least the Chargers and Chargers fans in San Diego, uh, they have a year to maybe make amends and, and get their own stadium in San Diego. Uh, I think it is a little silly to all of a sudden have two teams in L.A. So I, I'm hoping that the people of San Diego and the government of San Diego can can uh, do a good enough a job to convince the Chargers to stay. Yeah, one little note, too, is uh, if the Raiders and the Chargers stay permanently uh they get an extra hundred million dollars from the league so that certainly is a big uh nice little carrot to help them get a new stadium if they can work it out with the local authorities and all that fun stuff i think it's fine the way it is i hope nobody else moves i didn't want them to move from st louis hey maybe the chargers will ask st louis if they want a team huh (laughs) what if they did that what if they just (laughs) traded teams huh but All righty, one last one, bombshell kind of. Calvin Johnson considering retirement. Bob, he's not that old. He was in uh, Adrian Peterson's draft class, I believe. And uh, what do you think of that? I mean, it's kind of kind of early, don't you think? Yeah, it's, it's very surprising. He's only 30. Uh, 
coincidentally, he's going to be the same exact age as Barry Sanders retiring. So uh, one of the greatest running backs, one of the greatest wide receivers to play, both leaving Detroit at the same age. Uh, Very interesting, very sad, but by all accounts, he has some serious nagging injuries that he just can't really get over. We've kind of seen his production drop a little bit. But, uh, yeah, again, that's too soon to have one of the greats leave the game. Absolutely. Hopefully he doesn't. But you know what? If his health is a concern, then props to him for walking away at the right time if he chooses to. It's not set in stone yet. But, I mean, all the things I'm reading, it seems like he's told everyone that he's gone. So if I'm a betting man, I'm betting on him uh, walking away, which definitely is surprising. But... Alrighty, unfortunately, we have to walk away. We're out of time, but Super Bowl's this week, so we're certainly going to be watching that, and we'll be back next week to recap the action on what will be our first birthday, because this time last year we launched our podcast recapping the Super Bowl, so happy birthday to us next week. Please come back to FenleyRoadSports.com. We're going to have some more blogs for you. We've got news and review. We've got our two blogs, and of course, we've got our podcast. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram, Fenley Road Sports. Search us on iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. That's Fenley Road Sports. What are you talking about, podcast? Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week with more sports talk, more insight, more football, and more fun. So, till then, take care. Have a great week. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Take it easy, Bob.